good to be with you this morning. Uh, I will begin with the question on some of your minds, how is Kendall doing? Uh, if you don't know, my wife had surgery this past Thursday, and she is doing quite well. Uh, she is at home. Uh, we have a friend who's sitting with her right now, and uh, she continues to heal. Uh, she is in a back room uh, of our house uh, and uh, is in very good spirits, uh, much uh, thanks to oxycodone and uh, <laughs> And of course, all the prayers and the love that you all have given us, uh, thank you for that. Um, if you're wondering too, I will be taking off uh, a little bit uh, to be with her over the next coming weeks, um, so you might not be hearing as much from me uh, in what's to come here. Um, but know that you're on my heart and um, that I'm always thinking about you uh, and praying for you, uh, but I also covet uh, your prayers during this time as well. <clears throat> Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we come this morning um, and um, as we do, we ask uh, that you give us hearts like Jonah's in chapter 2 of the book of Jonah. Hearts where we see our own frailty where we see the ways in which we've uh, not followed you and we come to you and we open up our lives and we say um, that we indeed need uh, repentance and that we have failed and that we desire to follow you and that we need uh, your salvation and your salvation alone. And Lord, through this process, uh, Lord, we know that we come to a God who is faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to you. And so God, today remind us anew of the state of our very being in this world, that we are reliant upon you for every breath we take. God, I pray that, uh, that you open our eyes anew, that we might see, uh, of course, you differently, but Lord, that we might see our neighbors differently too and our loved ones, and those we work with, and those we live with, and those we go to school with, and that we might uh, be people who are seeking redemption together. Lord, in this message, move me out of the way and speak through me. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're in the second chapter of the book of Jonah. You can go ahead and turn there if you like. Um, to begin with, I, I just kind of want to say uh, that there is uh, a way in which death itself, which is what this chapter is about in many ways, death. Uh, death has a way of clarifying our vision for the world unlike anything else does. I finished a book yesterday uh, by a woman named Priya Parker, and it's called The Art of Gathering. It's, uh, it was actually a wonderful book. I was uh, turned on to it by uh, Beth Davis. She happened to casually mention it. I made this cast, passing statement that I'd, I'd look into it, and I thought I wouldn't like it, and then I actually loved it. Uh, and she tells stories of gatherings uh, throughout this book. And uh, one of the gath and she's a host of of sorts, uh, and she, she does this professionally and has been doing it for uh, decades. 
in one gathering, I, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was an international gathering. It might have been like with the UN, and there were like really important people in the room. And her job was to get these 15 people to, uh, to put down their guards and to connect with one another, right? And to, to stop the, the pretense, uh, as one might do uh, on an international stage, uh, to stop talking about one's accomplishments and to actually um, to make some sort of human connection between them. And so she wanted, so she came up with a theme. There were 15 people in the room, and she called it 15 Toasts. And uh, everybody had to go around and give a toast to something. And the, the theme of the day was a good life, a good life. And so the toast uh, had to be um, something like uh, you, you had to tell a story about your own life, and then you toast to something. like So you can tell a story about your own father, and then you get to the end of it and you say, to dads, right? Uh, or you, you tell some uh, story about your education, and this is what started to happen, uh, and then somebody says, to education, and they clink the glasses. And, and uh, it's going well, and people are starting to unlock uh, a little bit of their lives until uh, it takes a dark turn. And, uh, and, and when you think about a good life, Inevitably, interestingly, death uh, comes up, right? And this is what happened. And a, a woman begins to, uh, to, to talk about her own uh, mortality and, and frailty. And, and then she says every morning she wakes up, uh, she uh, does what she calls a death meditation. And she, uh, she kind of goes through this process in her mind as if she had died. Uh, and what it would uh, mean uh, to her family members and to her friends uh, and to the people she loves and what she has left behind uh, and what mattered in life. And then she comes out of it and she says with her, her toes wingle, wiggling uh, and her fingers wiggling, she realizes, I'm alive and I have so much to be thankful for. And it, gives this, it offers this clarifying view of what she should do uh, on a, on a daily basis by thinking about her own mortality. And, and then the, the, around the room, uh, people open up and they clink to death right? in this uh, seminar about a good life. And in a way, this is what's happening with our, with our book today. We're, we're, we're seeing somebody, right, Jonah, who's in the belly of a fish. He may as well be dead. Uh, and in fact, the description that we get throughout uh, Jonah chapter two is the description of, of death in many ways. Uh, and, uh, and then what we find is Jonah indeed is, is saved by the grace of God, comes out of it, uh, and is given a new life, a, a new possibility as to what could come. And so there is a way, again, that death has uh, a way of clarifying how we see the world and how we understand what's going on around us. And, and whether it's a death of our own uh, that is uh, perhaps a concern, a near-death experience, a death of a loved one, or even just something like the death of a dream. Uh, it has the potential to focus our vision, a laser-like focus. And it's with this singularity of vision that we are able to see what we often do not see in life. We see what matters. And we see what doesn't matter. And we see the things that stand the test of time. And we see those things that we know are going to fade and are not that important. 
I presume most of us have had this experience. Have you had this experience? Where you've realized all of these things that I do on a daily basis matter maybe a lot less than, than I would like to think that they do. But then there are these other things that I don't attend to in life that matter so much. And if I just poured more time into those, well, then maybe I'd be living a good life, right? Jonah's in this situation. Our friend Jonah is in a place where he is... Uh, Running from God, if you don't remember from chapter 1. He has run from the presence of God. He has found himself uh, in a storm. He has caused all kinds of, of chaos to these mariners who, uh, who, whose ship he has boarded. And he has eventually said, just throw me over uh, and God will take care of the rest. And, and the mariners uh, are forced into this and they do. And, and they throw him over and, and a fish swallows him up. And we get to chapter 2, and this is what we're reading from today, and we'll just begin at the very beginning together. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and he heard my voice. Jonah has spent the last weeks of his life running from the presence of God. And that, that's just not a metaphorical read. Like, that's literally what Jonah chapter 1 says. That Jonah hears the words of the Lord, and then he runs from the presence of God. That's how Jonah 1 opens. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, jo God has come to Jonah and said, Jonah here is the word that I need from you. And Jonah, like a, a three-year-old uh, not wanting to take a bath at bedtime, plugs his ears up and, and runs in the opposite direction, right? This is what Jonah is doing. And yet, and yet, when roles are reversed, and, and Jonah cries out to God from the belly of the fish, what happens? Well, it says he answered me. And out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, it says. When we cry out to God, despite our obedience or our disobedience, it is important that we remember that God is not like us. God does not block his ears, excuse me, and God does not run in the opposite direction, but God hears, and God listens. It was Jonah's disobedience, of course, that led him to the edge of his own death. To the belly of Sheol uh, is mentioned here. Sheol, of course, is the place of the dead for the Israelites. To the ancient, it was your it didn't matter if you were good, if you were bad, if you were righteous or you were unrighteous. When you die, you go to a place called Sheol, and that is what Jonah is talking about here. He is at his deathbed. He is at the end of his rope. He is having a near-death experience, and he cries out to God, and God hears his voice. I called out to the Lord. In my distress, he says, I called out, and he answered me. I was on my deathbed. I was at the end of my rope. 
I had no cards left to play. And he heard my voice. And he answered me. When God spoke, Jonah ran. But when Jonah spoke, God listened. And spoiler alert, Jonah gets out of the fish. <laughs> he makes it to Nineveh, and he's even, he even participates uh, in the redemption of this entire city, Nineveh. God hears you too. If you're at the end of your rope today, or if somebody in your life is, God certainly hears that. And there's more left to the story, right? There is the getting out of the fish, and there is the Nineveh part of the story that is left. And I think that should bring us all comfort, and that should bring us all hope. And that in spite of Jonah's best efforts to sabotage his own life, well, God seems to have different plans for Jonah. And he pulls him out of that pit. And he turns him into a figure that we're still talking about to this day. Jonah's prayer, however, takes a very interesting turn at this point. And in verse 3, he continues. He says, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. And then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And now, if you ask me, I think Jonah's prayer gets it wrong, and you've got to stick with me. <laughs> I know, it's the Bible, so I don't think I'm supposed to th say things like that, but I've already warned you, Jonah's book is not like any other book in the Bible. I don't know that Jonah becomes the redemptive figure Actually, I know that he doesn't become the redemptive figure that we would like him to be by the end of the story, does he? And I wonder if there's a lesson in here, in his own prayer, that he missed something significant. The significant thing is, of course, is that from chapter 1 we learn that it's Jonah's own running that leads him into the tempest. It's Jonah's own stopping of his own ears that leads him to this place of a watery grave. It's his own desire to get away from God and the things of God that leads him to the chaos of his own life. And for some reason, though, in his prayer, he says, For you, God, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. And the flood surrounded me. And it was your waves, O oh God, and your billows that passed over me. And I, I don't want to dispute this, because indeed it is God who set up the tempest, who set up the storm, and who indeed swallows Jonah whole. And God is no doubt part of all of this. God, of course, is the redemptive part of all of this. But I don't know that Jonah fully takes stock of his own role in the destruction of his own life. Uh, Beth gave a wonderful children's sermon in which she talked about repentance. 
And I think that there is repentance happening. I might even say true repentance happening in this moment. And by true, I mean very human repentance happening in this moment. And here's what I mean. How many times have you said, I am sorry that I did this, God. I am sorry that I, go, I got so mad with my brother. And I... I will just, I will never do that again. And then the next day, you're in a fight with your brother, right? Or you say, you know, you name whatever it is that happened in your life, and you repent, you're sorry for it, or you let it go somehow, or, or you go to God uh, and ask for forgiveness. And then it, it kind of comes back again. And we give these half-hearted apologies or these half-hearted moments in our life where we, we give ourselves over to God one more time. And I say half-hearted because uh, there is a half of your heart that is really in that and that knows that you really desire that. And then there's this other half that you haven't quite let go of yet. And there are, to put it in the terms of death, there are parts of you that still yet need to die, and that you just hold on to. And I'll say this about the story of Jonah as a whole, and about what's happening here. It is a story, uh, if, you, if you missed it, about death and resurrection. Right? That's what this story is. It's a story about death and resurrection, which is why, by the way, Jesus uh, connects his own ministry to this as the sign of Jonah, this, this death and resurrection. But I would submit to you that in our lives, it's not enough to have one near-death experience and to expect that to do the work of the rest of our lives, turning us into holy people. It's a, it's a series of deaths and resurrections, of small deaths, of dying to self here and dying to self there. And so I do believe that Jonah, in this moment, is repentant, but he clearly by the end of this book, has some work left to do. He has not fully embraced the amount of grace that is needed to live a good life, to live the human life, the human life that is seeking after God. In my reading of this prayer, <clears throat> the way I understand it, Jonah does not account for his own role in his near-death experience here. And maybe, indeed, this does explain why he doesn't quite have the grace that he needs for those Ninevites. And again, a spoiler alert, once he, he gets to Nineveh in chapter 3, they all repent, and they come, come to God. And Jonah's response is not one of, oh, that's great, it is, God, you see, this is why I ran in the first place. is because I knew you were a God who was slow to anger and you would forgive them. And what Jonah misses in his own story, and what then he fails to see uh, in the people of Nineveh, is he misses his, the amount of grace that God needs in his own story to forgive Jonah himself. And then what he misses in the story of the Ninevites 
is that he too is a Ninevite. He's one of them. And he too had to be forgiven just like they had to be forgiven. But somehow, somewhat, Jonah never makes that connection. And Jonah doesn't own the grace required of his own story and therefore seems incapable of giving it once it's time to be given to the Ninevites. His prayer continues, though, and he gives this very elaborate description of what it means to die and and the depths of where he's entering into. And you can almost envision all of this as he's He's in the belly of the fish, and and the fish is swimming down into the deeps. And and by the way, uh, Sheol sometimes is thought of as underneath the ocean or at the bottom uh, of the sea. And he goes on in verse 5, and he says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. And at the root of the mountains... I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Right? And here he is, again, at the end of his rope. His life is over, except, he goes on, he says, Yet you brought me life. You brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. And when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple, the very place that Jonah was running from. He now must get that prayer back to somehow. And God in his holy temple hears the prayer of Jonah. And he responds. And he responds by bringing him up out of this pit, out of this fish. And he continues and he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, I, with with thanksgiving, I'm grateful. I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the God. Here at the end, uh, if you didn't catch it, <laughs> uh, the Mariners, uh, a couple weeks ago, or last week, I guess, they beat Jonah to the punch. If you recall, at the end of chapter 1, the Mariners are so afraid, and in the fear of the Lord, they do what? They make vows, and they sacrifice. They sacrifice, and they make vows to God. And then here we have, at the end of chapter 2, Jonah doing what? He is making a sacrifice, and he is vowing to do the very thing he should have done from the first place, to live out that role as the prophet of God and to bring the word of the Lord to the people who need the word of the Lord. And then he concludes with the center of the center of this book, right? If if the book has four chapters, at the center of the center sits this phrase, Salvation belongs to the Lord, which I think is the theme of the whole book. Salvation belongs to the Lord for those mariners who desperately needed the Lord and found him despite Jonah's best efforts. 
Salvation belongs to the Lord in Jonah's own life in chapter 2, again, despite Jonah's best efforts. In chapter 3, salvation belongs to the Lord because he has brought up the Ninevites. And in chapter 4, salvation belongs to the Lord, question mark, is what Jonah really wants to ask. We'll get there. Here's what I think we should take away with from this week. Jonah chapter 2. Two weeks ago, I said, don't be like Jonah. You might recall that. Don't be like Jonah. This week, you should be asking, what happens if I've been like Jonah? (laughs) What happens if I have been? And it's not a question that's maybe, okay, if it's an... This will happen at some point in your life. When I've been like Jonah, what do I do? What are the lessons of Jonah's life here in chapter 2? And it might start with something obvious. The whole chapter is the shape of a poem, or better yet, a prayer. And this is the first thing, the first lesson learned, prayer. If you've been running from God, if you've been living a life of chaos, if the storms have hit you and you think it has nothing to do with you, and it may not, you may have gotten caught up like the mariners did in somebody else's storm. Whatever the case, the first thing to do is pray. To remind yourself that salvation belongs to the Lord. The second thing to learn here is one that I feel like we as, I don't know, our culture is is forgetting this, that no one is beyond redemption. No one is beyond redemption. This one makes me particularly passionate for some reason. I feel like, and I see it on the left and on the right in our political divide, and in our Christian life, too. And if you haven't figured it out, uh, as somebody who has been in enough academia, uh, I have friends on the left, and I've got friends on the right. And I see a certain amount of, they're beyond redemption, both on the left and on the right. Sometimes I feel like lately it's been more on the left, and it drives me crazy. It, it strikes me as, with uh, a certain amount of hubris that, Somebody is, is, is so uh, sure of their own self that they are uh, not in need of forgiveness and have not been, that they're willing to cast somebody off as being beyond redemption, as if we're all not in need of redemption. The story we must learn from Jonah is that he was in need of redemption. Those mariners were, those Ninevites are, And we are too, and it should drive us again. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The third thing I'd say of the story of Jonah is that it should drive us toward humility. It should remind us that even good people, so to speak, prophets, well, they are in need of the grace of God. And grace indeed, abounds throughout this whole story. All four chapters of Jonah are filled with grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It's one of the driving themes of it all. 
And again, none of us are immune, and it should humble us in all the good ways. I'd say also we should learn that we should have a gratitude for life, a thankfulness. Those times where we find ourselves in, uh, in, in the deepest, darkest places, and God brings us out of them, should remind us also of how good life is and can be, and how much we are to be grateful for that. Like that woman at the beginning of the story who does the death meditation, and then she realizes, I'm alive. The, the mere fact of being alive should bring us gratitude. I am thankful that God has given me one more day to work with, a few more breaths to work with, and to love people with, and to do good in this world, and to honor God, and to love him. It should remind us to live our lives with open palms. This is what this story should do. It should remind us to live them with open palms because the fact of the matter is Jonah's story could have, maybe should have ended with Jonah dying. With him at the the belly of the fish and that's it. End of story. It wouldn't have made it into scripture but perhaps that's what should have happened. But Jonah gets another shot, right? And it should teach him that we've got to live life with open palms. That we don't know what the next day brings. And the next day may bring that death or uh, the loss of something or or the loss of a relationship or or a a friendship or a dream uh, or a friend. We don't know. But we live with open palms Grateful for the gifts that God has given us. And then the last thing it should do, it should drive us to be people of grace. This is the one thing that Jonah misses, though, isn't it? He misses the grace part. He doesn't quite recognize how much grace has been given him and therefore is incapable of granting it to other people, to the Ninevites maybe to those mariners. But you and I should be different. And here again, let's not be like Jonah. Let us be people who learn the lessons of life, that at the belly of the beast, when we find ourselves there, we should be reminded how much grace God has given to us and therefore should be lavished upon other people by us. We should be grace-filled people ready at every turn to grant forgiveness, to grant God's uh, grace to them as well. In just a moment, we are going to take what sits at the heart of our Christian faith, the body and the blood of Christ. It's a gift that was given for all of us. It's on this that we stand, right? It's on this that all of the, uh, the little resurrections in life I talked about have any meaning at all because of the big resurrection that is in Jesus Christ happens and it animates everything else. And we all look forward to our own resurrection from the dead when that time comes. 
And in the meantime, we celebrate the little resurrections as we die to ourselves slowly over time and we rise to Christ slowly over time. And every time we take communion, we are reminded of what we are supposed to do and who we are supposed to be and whose we are. That is where we head toward now. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we come this morning filled with gratitude. We are filled with thanks. We are grateful for what your Son, Jesus Christ, has done on our behalf because he has given us life. It is through his death and his resurrection that our life matters at all. Because it is through that that you save each and every one of us from the pit, from the belly of the fish, from the gates of Sheol, and you raise us up to be people of God. God, this morning, before we take the cup and the bread, I pray that you drive us toward repentance. That we take this opportunity to commit ourselves anew to you. That we take those vows. That we offer that sacrifice. That we offer ourselves as a sacrifice back to you. And that we commit ourselves to the work of your kingdom. Lord, this is what we desire now. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, we're going to let the band play for a few minutes. In that time, if you don't have a, a cup for communion, go ahead and grab one. Uh, let's reflect for just a moment uh, on what God is doing in our hearts right now.